Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today, we have a fascinating guest from California, Bob Brill. Bob is an award-winning journalist, filmmaker, and author with numerous screenplays, books, and a preeminent career in broadcast journalism, including CBS Radio LA. His latest book, The Tattoo Murder, is out now. So, Bob, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Lucia. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Bob, you are originally from Pittsburgh. Yes. Yes, I am. And uh, that's uh, my original hometown. Mm -hmm. uh, we moved back and forth to uh, California a few times in my childhood. And then we finally stayed here. Uh, and I won't tell you the year because it will date me too much. And I don't date myself anymore. Um, I used to date myself all the time, but that's another story. <laughs> and then we stayed here and I, I went to junior high and high school here and um, never went to college. I started, but didn't go. I went to broad, broadcast school instead. So, and then in my radio career, I traveled all around the Southwest. I worked in New Mexico, Arizona, Texas, uh, down South Palm Springs, far uh, north as Fresno. So I, in my radio career, which has been 52 years, uh, I was, I've worked all over uh, pretty much the Southwest. Wow, that's a lot of experience. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of water under the bridge. <laughs> and you know, Bob, I have a strong connection with your city as I lived there in Pittsburgh. And I still have family and friends there. So just like you, I'm a fan of the Steelers. And I also like Pittsburgh penguins and i'm wearing this yes. shirt right now yes i saw that that's oh, wonderful no. it's interesting because um i have uh the penguins russian jersey and in the 90s they had a team in moscow a, a farm team in moscow and the jerseys were red obviously it was russia and it had the penguin that you have on your on your shirt uh the same one i have one of those tucked in the corner of my closet somewhere. I go back to the days of uh, Sil Apps, who was one of the original stars of the team in 1968. And of course, Mario Lemieux. My uncle in Pittsburgh built Mario Lemieux's wine cellar. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so we know Sidney Crosby went there to get some wine too. So we know all that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my, and I, I met Mario years ago at a trading card convention. Um, and I was covering that as a reporter. 
And I was in the trading card industry for quite, still am actually. And Mario is the most wonderful gentleman you ever want to meet. And I've known people that have had business dealings with him. And uh, he saved the team, saved uh, the team from Pittsburgh. He wanted it to stay there. Uh, and uh, he gave up a lot of a lot of his own money to keep the team there. And he knew he'd make it back, and he has. And, and that's great. But, uh, yeah, um, Penguins fans, uh, every poll shows, Penguins fans are the best and most loyal fans in all the National Hockey League. Same with the Steeler fans. You know, Steeler Nation, it's the same way. Pirate fans, we're diehards, but, you know, you got to win. <laughs> The, the pirates don't win very often. They haven't in years. No, and it's funny because um, I used to have a tower that you know they were a yellow one that everybody and they go yes. to status. The uh, terrible tower. Ah, terrible tower. Sorry, I was saying uh, I have crazy one. tower. I... What do you like or what do you enjoy doing in your free time in Ventura? Oh, free time. Boy, um, do I have any free? I, I don't really have much free time. Usually, to be honest with you, uh, I if I am have some actual free time, I try to spend with my wife. We've been watching a lot of tennis lately, U.S. Open. Um, going out to dinner. Um, and because I write quite a bit. So I'm not writing a novel or a book. I'm working on a screenplay. and that's And I write a weekly baseball column. Uh, called uh, Baseball in the 1960s. It's a blog that I've been doing for, oh, golly, going on seven or eight years now. And I do that every week. And matter of fact, I ask a trivia question in that every week, and I give away a $10 Starbucks gift card to the, to the, one of the right answers. So, uh, so we have fun with that. And so I write that every week. Um, I work four to five days a week. So uh, because of the schedule I work, I don't have a a lot of waking time where I'm not kind of half asleep. But uh, in my spare time, I think, oh, the other thing I do, I really enjoy baseball cards and trading cards. Uh, I, have, you know, I have an eBay store. I used to have a physical store years ago, but uh, I really enjoy That's one of my passions. I just love doing. And I love producing uh, and um, editing and mixing. I love all that part of uh, the, pro the creative process. So, uh, and I'm, I mean, I'm trying to catch up with all the, the new AI stuff and I'm so far behind on that stuff. It's not even funny. I, I'm ready. Let somebody else do the editing. I'll do some of the editing. I'll do the shooting. I'll do the, the writing, you know, and we'll let somebody else do the rest. So it's, it, you know, it really is a team process and uh, you kind of have to step aside and uh, I'll do this and you guys do that. You're better at this than me. So your creativity knows no bounds how did it always start well uh, as a child i always wrote jokes um i was six five six years old i would write jokes for family members just you know they'd get a laugh because i was a cute little kid you know and they would laugh and i would write more and then in junior high school uh, when i read a lot uh, i i wrote a lot uh, I, I just, uh, it was one of those, I just kind of adapted to that and went into that. And then in the fifth grade, I had a teacher uh, named Mrs. Dunn, who I'll never forget, who we, we had an assignment where we had to write a little assignment of an essay of what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I wanted to play Major League Baseball. That's all I ever wanted to do. I love baseball. Wanted to play baseball. And uh, 
you know, and I had this plan in my head. Of course, it wasn't going to work, but uh, I was, you know, 10 years old at the time. And uh, she said, okay, well, what's your backup? And I said, well, well, I don't understand what's a backup. She goes, well, you know, if you don't play baseball, what? And I, I thought, I said, you know, I got to come somehow stay near baseball. And I thought, well, I love to listen to, you know, play by play on the radio. And I thought, well, that would be great. I, how, I could do that. That would be that would that would be really wonderful. So that's kind of when that started. And then my junior year in high school, I submitted to uh, a broadcasting school, and they wrote me back and said, um, "We can't talk to you because you have to be a senior." So I said, "Okay." So I just kind of forgot about it. And the next year, I got a letter from them and saying, "You know, uh, we'd like you to join us at Career Academy School of Broadcasting." It was a four month course. And it was in LA, so I, I could go there to the studios. And um, I did. And I went straight from there in to my first job. I, I basically, I had a Volkswagen bus at $600. And I had a broadcast yearbook that had all the stations laid out. And I just went from station to station uh, outside of Los Angeles. I knew I wouldn't get a job in Los Angeles, but in the outskirts. And in seven days, I had a job in Prescott, Arizona. And I was there for four months. Um, got fired from my job, came back to Los Angeles, and I was making, that was 1973, I was making in Los Angeles $1.60 an hour. No. The year before that, yeah, the year before that, I was a box boy at a local grocery store bagging groceries, and I was making $1.62 an hour because it was a union job. <laughs> so I actually in, in started my career making... At, at that point, making less than I, I did bagging groceries. Yeah. And um, so, but, and it, it I, I kept doing it from there and I, and I ended up getting jobs and press, uh, well, I had to Prescott, Arizona, and then uh, Raton, New Mexico. Um, um, where else? Oh, Texas. I worked in El Paso. I worked in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Weatherford and Clinton, Oklahoma, too. Farthest east I went was Tulsa. And I forgot about uh, Oklahoma, but uh, in Oklahoma, I guess at that time was kind of forgettable to me. But um, yeah, so that that's where it all started. And then um, on my sixth birthday, uh, my mom took me up to the shopping center in Pittsburgh called Mount Oliver uh, to buy. I was allowed to buy my my own birthday present. And I bought some baseball cards to make it long story short. And in the pack of baseball cards was a Don Rudolph card. And Don Rudolph was a journeyman pitcher. But on the back of the card, they had a cartoon. And the cartoon was about his wife. And it said, Don's wife is a professional dancer. Well, she wasn't just a professional dancer. She was one of the highest paid strippers in the country at the time. Burlesque mm -hmm. star. And uh, that kind of kicked in my mind like, huh? <laughs> it's on my baseball card? I'm six, you know, right? Um, but it stuck with me. And over the years, I found out they lived, when I moved to California, they lived within a mile of where I lived. They banked at the bank across the street from where I lived. I eventually acquired some of the estate. They, He was killed in 1968. She died in 1992. So I never met either of them. Uh, I've spoken to the daughter. I did acquire some rights. And uh, I ended up um, do, doing my first book. It was called Fan Letters to a Stripper. Uh, Patty Wagon Tail, and that's a big coffee table book. So we're hopefully they're trying to raise enough money to make a uh, an episodic um, one one time series out of this. I've written the screenplays, 
all eight hours and uh, hopefully it goes and we'll, we'll see that would be my ultimate goal almost almost my ultimate goal that would be that would be the uh, the key to the next step in my career I believe that it's not easy to write no. screenplays no 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 some people say I write prose better than screenplays I enjoy writing prose obviously I, I write fast either way I've got probably 10 screenplays in my head, three of which I'm working on right now, you know, original screenplays. And I've got a short story, which I've submitted, which is probably one of the best things I've ever written. And then uh, the books have gotten better over the years. I've, I've, I have two books that I have to write. Uh, one's a sequel to The Tattoo Murder and uh, the next in the Lancer, Hero of the West series. Uh, I've written six in that series. There will be 10. I uh, used to write one a year, and then the pandemic hit. So uh, that uh, that put an end to that. So Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And is there a particular genre or type of story that you feel well, drawn to? Half of them are Westerns, which I really enjoy. That's one same character. And there will be 10 of those. Right now, there's six. Um, and I really enjoy writing the story of John Potenza, Uh, who's the surfing cop in The Tattoo Murder. Uh, it's just because that's such a complicated and varied plot. And the second one will be similar to that. That um, takes a long time to write. That's it. I have never taken as long to write anything as I have The Tattoo Murder. And the next one, The Belt Buckle Murder, uh, will not take me as long. Um, but it, it, uh, it will be a process. The, the Lancer books kind of bang out pretty quickly um and the other books uh just fact checking and things like that and fact checking is much easier now than it used to be for one thing you know because of the internet but uh i think the thing i like the most in storytelling is irony i love irony i mean you have to love conflict because conflict makes the story um but i love irony i love a twist i love to have you think you know where the story is going and it end up different, which still makes sense and, and still be a good ending. I, I wrote a short story, which I submitted to The Strand. They had asked me to submit, and I don't know if it's going to get published or not, but I just rewrote the end. I wrote three different endings, and I said, pick one. <laughs> you know? And uh, I, I think that is the probably the one thing that I do that I enjoy about the writing process as far as my storytelling. And you were talking a little bit about uh, Detective Potenza. Yes. And there is something you said, Detective Potenza is the guy every man wants to be and the man every woman wants. Please elaborate on that. <laughs> well, um, I won't describe him because and I, and I'll tell you why. I never describe my characters in detail. You know, I never say blue eyes, curly hair, that kind of stuff, because you as a reader 
I want you as a reader to have the person, you want that person to be in your head. So the, if you can identify he has curly blonde hair and blue eyes and glasses and a mustache, that's who the character is. If the, the character has a crew cut, um, no glasses, clean shaven, except maybe a goatee, that's who the character is to you. John Potenza, he's a cop who surfs. He's had a, he's had a history. He was uh, an army ranger in uh, the Balkan Wars. Saw some terrible things there. But his, he's Italian-American. Uh, he, his family, his mom, dad, sister, all live in Ventura. He's well-respected. Now, the thing about him is he's really good-looking. And that's where I leave it. He's really, really good-looking. He's got that V body, you know, that you know, uh, the perfect body and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of describe him as um, a local, when it comes to his ladies, he's sort of a local James Bond. He has his main squeeze. He has the main squeeze who is very understanding of him. And he's charming. He's delightful. He's uh, well-traveled. He's, uh, he's a good cook. He knows his way around the kitchen and women, the women he that seemed to want him uh, like that. And at the same time, every guy wants to be him because first of all, he drives a fast car. He's really into his music, which is mainly John Fogarty and Creedence Clearwater. Um, he's a hero and he always has a lot of ladies, which the, the guys admire and uh, they, they wish they could be him. And, and he always, he treats people really well. Uh, especially his friends and colleagues. And uh, he makes sure that every Monday morning he brings in what, the leftovers that his mom made for Sunday dinner. And she always makes an, enough extra that he can take to the squad room. And, the, and especially fresh tomatoes. And, you know, being from Europe, fresh, there's no better taste in the world than a vine ripened fresh tomato. It's just, you, you pick it up and there's this little coating of whatever it is, tomato dust over it. And when you bite into it, you know, it's like you're in food heaven. And so that's one of the things uh, he, um, I think you'll find out that most of my characters have some affinity toward food, mm -hmm. which is me. That's, that's uh, kind of my real contribution. Lancer, hero of the West, the, the Western, uh, he has an affinity he carries around Turkish delight in his saddlebags. And that's how he woos his women. <laughs> he mm. starts with Turkish delight. And for those of you who don't know what Turkish delight is, um, find it. You can find it at any, uh, most European stores, British stores, um, uh, even uh, some uh, um, Jewish stores. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just a real tasty, not super sicky sweet, gummy, or not gummy, gooey, candy treat that's dusted with uh, powdered sugar and it is to die for so mm -hmm. it's one of my favorites i'm hungry now so, and <laughs> and bob if this book the tattoo murder mm -hmm. were to be adapted into a film is there a particular actor you'd envision portraying this character mm -hmm. I think Brad Pitt would probably fit the role. 
I knew you were going to say Brad Pitt because when I read your answer, I said, this is Brad Pitt. <laughs> well, every guy would, if, if reincarnation is a thing, every guy in the world would like to come back as Brad Pitt. Just ask Shania Twain. <laughs> I'm sure. And um, what inspired you to write this book? Why? Why did you decide to write um, it? I think the tattoo murder, I wanted to write something that I hadn't written before as far as a book was concerned. And I wrote, I actually wrote this about 12 years ago. And uh, I wanted to write a racy novel. I wanted to write it, what I hoped women would like to read as well as men. And I wrote it, I showed it to my daughter. My daughter got into a few pages and said, I can't read this. My dad wrote this, I can't do it. It's too racy. And I showed it to my sister and my sister was not happy. Um, however, there's a really good psychiatrist friend of mine who's female who loved it. And she said, Bob, you have to get it out there. Well, I put the book on the shelf for 10 years. I really did. And I kept, and I kept, every time I would talk to this, she's not my psychiatrist. I don't, she's a friend. Okay. She's, I'm not a patient. Okay. Maybe mm -hmm. I should be, but, um, you know, she's, she's a dear friend. And she kept saying, Bob, you got to get this book out there. And several other people said the same thing. So what I did was I rewrote it and toned it down. I, I just kind of made the sex and the sex scenes a little less racy. And I showed it to my publisher at the time, Jimmy Christina. Now it's Richard Pondelli who took over after, unfortunately, Jimmy died. And Jimmy loved it. He said, I love this. And Richard said the same thing. And everybody that's read it so far has, has just said, I can't put it down. I love it. I love this character. I love the story. I love the, the twist, the plot twist. And uh, two things that I did in the book that aren't usually done, and I don't know if anybody's ever done them, is number one, every scene in the book is datelined. In other words, not every chapter. But every scene, every change of scenery uh, at the t top of that page or where the scene begins is the time, the date, the day, and where they are. So you're reading it sort of like a movie script, and which is what I wanted to do. And the other thing I did is my wife is a photographer, and we went up to Ventura and took photographs of places where this fictional story took place. The, where the body washes up, where the dead bodies are found, uh, downtown Ventura, just places where he hung out, uh, uh, certain things within the book. And then we put those pictures of real life things in Ventura into the center of the book as fictional places. And so what you have is you have a real life type story that's fictional that could happen. And you would know, you can actually visit the places if you drive up to Ventura, you can visit the places where the book takes place, the actual scenes. That's and so I think we put 10. Yeah, that's that's the way we did it. And now the belt buckle murder, which is the sequel, is actually based loosely on a, on a murder that I covered. Uh, I covered the trial 
uh, in Fresno back in the 1980s. And I've adapted that to Ventura, John Potenza. It's just the basis of the story, um, but it gets a lot more complicated. It's political uh, as far as political people and being involved and child trafficking and just some other topical things that take place in the book that uh, we all know and talk about today. It's just been outlined and it's the outlines on paper. I just haven't started writing it yet. So, mm-hmm. And Bob, I know that you cannot surf. No, no, no I can't surf. <laughs> I barely can swim. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, so I know that Detective Potenza has a passion for nighttime surfing, but personally, I don't feel comfortable swimming in the dark. Have you ever given it a try to go to the beach at night and swim? I've gone to the beach at night. I love the beach at night, but no, no, no way I'm getting on a surfboard. I know a lot of people who are good friends who surf. Uh, I drew from their experience, not so much the surfing at night, because surfing at night, as I mentioned in the book, can be dangerous, very dangerous. And you don't usually surf at night, but this particular character loves danger. And the pressures, and and he finds solitude in in that. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, when you read about his experience in Bosnia, when you read about his experience as a child, uh, not as a child, but as as a teen high school kid and things that he has done or been involved with over the years um you know and the daily pressures of the crime that he's trying to solve and try to prevent as well you understand the pressures that are on this individual and just to being a police officer there's a, a lot of pressure but this particular individual has a lot of pressure on him but he keeps his cool and one of the reasons he keeps his cool is because he has mastered this dangerous thing of surfing in the evening, in, in the dark. And um, it's he's calculated. He understands the dangers, and the dangers are real. Mm. At the same time, he is someone who likes a challenge and is willing to stretch the envelope, so to speak. And Bob... I'm sure you've encountered major news stories. What I mean is you've had many situations Mm. or stories that had a profound impact on you or had a significant impact in the world, let's say that. So can you share a story with us? Sure. Sure. Uh, There's been many I enjoy covering news. I, I'm I'm a good reporter. I know that. I've just had a good nose for news, and and I, I know what a good story is. Uh, and I enjoyed pretty much every story I, I covered, uh, some more than others. I the worst ones were uh, stories involving kids. 
They're, those are always the worst ones. The two stories that I usually get associated with, number one is uh, the Rodney King riots in 1992. Uh, I was at the epicenter where the riots started filing and uh, uh, people say I did my job too well because I got there too early and the cops had already left. Uh, they had come and left and they weren't coming back. And this is after the verdicts of the Rodney King and the uh, police officer trials. And I got attacked and beaten up and seriously injured to the fact that my thumb was smashed. I had a cracked skull, things like that. My glasses, my tape recorder all were stolen and I got my face kicked in. Uh, so, but I was very fortunate that uh, not much more happened. I didn't have any the only permanent damage I had, I early arthritis, my neck, you know, so I still have issues there. It's not anything I, I can't live with or haven't lived with, you know, and over the years it got a little bit better, but it's always there. You know, I went to the hospital. I was there for the night. The worst thing about that next to getting beat up was I was, I was on workers comp right away. And so I didn't get the chance to cover the rest of the story. Um, the, so that that was I, I was at Flo I was at the intersection of Florence and Normandy when that took place, and I was filing on a payphone when I got attacked, and you could hear that you could hear the bottle hitting my head and uh, be getting beat up and uh, screaming. It's on my website, bobbrill.com. I have the audio there, and that's all that was left of probably thirty minutes of really really good reporting. All that's left is about twenty six seconds of me getting attacked and all the rest was on the cutting room floor because we didn't have the ability to save that back then mm -hmm. as far as the internet or computers. The other story, which is probably my favorite story I've ever covered as far as having fun, was the Zsa, Zsa Gabor police officer slapping story. When Zsa, Zsa Gabor slapped the police officer and then um, resisted arrest and was on trial for slapping this police officer. That trial lasted for about two weeks. It was the most hilarious time I think I've ever covered. I got Jaja on tape saying the most unbelievable thing a lady is supposed to say. I won't, let's put it this way. We had to put it out with beep tones because um, she, she used the F-bomb four times in 15 seconds. So when we put it out on the air, we had to put little beep tones in it. We put F beep, F beep, F beep, F beep. And it was, it, and I, that was a two on one. It was me and another a friend of mine. We're both got her at the same time upstairs walking down the hall. Uh, so that's exclusive audio. And I mean, it just, it was just a crazy, crazy trial. You know, she, she would say something outrageous every day. And usually whatever she said on Monday, she said the opposite on Tuesday and said a third way on Thursday. She said the exact, said the officer said this, then he said this, and then he said this, you know, and it, she, the funny, I remember, never forget this. She goes, he, he was, she called him a horrendous Nazi. And the very next words out of her mouth were, he was an Adonis. He was just gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> where does this come from you know and um she's passed away since but she was always a trip to cover i mean anytime you know you uh we had her in a, an event or something where we you know where she was involved and we interviewed her she was so funny and um but yeah it was it was those two trials those, those two events were probably the two that stand out in my mind most
it must be difficult to, you know, to stay still and not laugh in a situation like this. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was like, you, you kind of, and especially, you couldn't look at the other reporters. Because if you looked at them and they looked at you, you'd burst out laughing. And, and that, you know, that occasionally happens on the air. There's every once in a while, one of our writers will write something. And they they don't think about the double entendre when they write it. And this goes back years. I mean, not, you know, uh, we've all done it. And, I, you know, writers that I've had in previous radio stations. And you'll go to read it on the air. And you'll think about what you just said. If you haven't pre-read it. Like, oh, my gosh, what did I just say? And then you tell the writer, you, you pose a question to him about it. And they go, oh, my God, did I really just write that? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you did. Go ahead and rewrite it. Because if you write it again and I hit it again, I'm going to laugh my butt off. <laughs> but it's an amazing career to be able to cover the news. And I always wanted to be a journalist. I'm not a journalist uh -huh. now, but I'm interviewing people. So I'm happy. <laughs> That's being a journalist. Believe me, you are a journalist. Yeah. You're documenting history. If you're documenting history, you're a journalist. That's my my definition of being a journalist. Wow. You're, you're covering uh, what happens in the world. Because, you know, we never had the ability before we did, but not everybody did. We never had the ability to document history like we do now. Um, and down to minutiae. You know, I mean, we always, you know, you read in history books, you know, this event, this event. It uh, a third of a column on whatever in a history book. But in a podcast or a video cast or however, whatever you're doing, in 15 or 20 minutes, you document more of history than the history book ever did you know and it's it's pretty phenomenal uh to what we have nowadays and uh with the internet how expedient it is and how easy it is i mean when i uh reached my 50th anniversary of my my broadcast career i decided on my podcast one i have several podcasts uh one uh have still called interesting people with bob brill and i my goal was to interview people about their jobs because nobody thinks their job is interesting except everybody else, you know. And I decided I would, for 30 consecutive days, on the, starting with the anniversary of my broadcast career, I would tell a different story of what happened in my radio life. And whether it's that, those two stories were part of it. Uh, also, a uh, chance meeting with Roy Rogers and, and, and other things. And every day I did one for 30 days. And then after that, I put up a doc radio documentary that I did called The Sound of Surf and uh, another one about the 30th anniversary of the assassination of President Kennedy. And so those are all on there. And I looked at it and I said, I'm documenting history. You know, maybe nobody may ever listen to it, but my grandkids can ever, always go there and say, hey, my grandfather did that. You know, that's my grandfather. And uh, so I kind of did it more for them uh, as well as for the general public. Um, and that's, you know, one of the reasons uh, I like doing that particular thing. I think you have so many good stories to tell us. Bob, do you have any plans for retirement? I can't see you retiring. Uh, thank you. Uh, I can't either. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of am living something 
that I always wanted to do. I always wanted to have one central job in radio in Los Angeles that pays the bills, basically, and then do a lot of other stuff, writing and and producing and and speaking and whatever uh, at the same time. My fallacy in that was I always thought those other things would bring me a paycheck. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> at least not at the moment. Hopefully somewhere down the road. And hopefully now that we've optioned uh, the screenplay on um, the Paddy Wagon story, uh, we'll hopefully that gets made and we'll see. Well, I know we'll see some financial numeration for that. But I can't complain about my life at all. I really can't. I'm doing a lot of what I'm, I wanted to do. Uh, I did a little bit of play-by-play uh, and uh, in baseball and football, and that I got to do that. Uh, there's still there's still a lot of things I still want to do. I have a lot of stories to tell in my head and on paper, and uh, and I have a lot of screenplays to sell. And uh, hopefully that happens in the near future. Mm-hmm. And where can we find you online? Your podcast, your books, screenplay. Uh, the easiest way um, is bobbrill.com. Uh, that needs to be updated some, but it'll take you to every place or um, bobbrillbooks.com. If you Google Bob Brill, uh, I come up usually 15 to 17 of the top 20 choices. And I can only tell you that I'm not Bob Brill, the um, IP attorney in Chicago. I'm not Bob Brill, the drummer for Berlin. I'm not Bob Brill, Tony-winning set designer, and I'm seriously not Bob Brill, the bodybuilder. So those four you can ignore. The, but I'll I'll be the first. I'm usually number one and nine of the first ten, and usually like fifteen of the first twenty. So it's easy to find. I'm out there. You know, it's easy to find me. It is, and also to our listeners, we featured Bob in the September issue of the Relatable Voice magazine. So they are brought Very much thank you for that. That was very nice. Of course. So very, very nice. Thank you. I I shared that with a lot of my friends. You can access his feature for free at www.relatable-media.com. And Bob... I have to tell you, this is an honor to have you here today. I really admire your work, your talents, your creativity. I don't see you retiring. I see you writing forever. <laughs> and thank you. Uh, and we would love to have you back. Anytime. Thank you for seriously. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I love listening to your accent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that you're a Steeler Penguins fan, hey, you're solid in my book. Completely. <laughs> you got it. Thank you, Bobby. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening, and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.